Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back to Talking Beasts. This is Glumpuddle. And I'm Jim Fan. And this is Rillian. And today we are at last beginning our discussion of the final installment in the BBC Narnia quadrilogy, Quadrilogy. The Silver Chair. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Over the break, I polled our Patreon supporters and asked if we should talk about BBC Silver Chair or continue our Magician's Nephew commentary this season. And by a very slim margin, The Silver Chair comes out ahead. Silver Chair was released in 1990 in six episodes, directed by Alex Kirby. But nowadays, most people seem to watch the BBC Narnia series as edits where all the episodes are combined together into one giant movie, which isn't really fair. You know, The Silver Chair was not originally released as one big three-hour movie. It's six episodes. I'm not sure I've ever watched these episodically as they were meant to be seen. So that's kind of the idea behind revisiting these. Let's review these one episode at a time. So I probably haven't seen this in at least a decade or so and probably same. probably been way longer than that since I gave him a real proper viewing. I was probably in the single digit age range when I saw this. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know how long it's been though. It's been a, a much longer time since I gave him a real proper viewing, meaning really watching him and not just watching him with other Narnie Webbers to kind of make comments about and talk about, but really just... that is fun. Well, whatever. The good ones and the bad ones, it's good to watch with fellow Narnie Webbers. But uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing these with fresh eyes. So that brings us to today. We're talking about episode one of The Silver Chair, which begins with Jill Pole getting made fun of. Jill and Scrub make it into Aslan's country. Jill is given the four signs. They're blown to Narnia. Uh, they're at Caraparavel. And then the cliffhanger is Jill is flying on Glimfeather's back. And he's they're flying through what's going to be the Parliament of Owls. We see a bunch of cartoon eyes in Jill screams. Is the cliffhanger. <laughs> it's a great cliffhanger. <laughs> Episode one of Silver Chair. What did we think? You know, maybe part of it's because I've gotten, you know, I've gotten to watch a... Uh, a line that went to the wardrobe, multiple line that went to the wardrobe adaptations. I've gotten to watch Prince Caspian adaptations. I've gotten to watch, you know, a, a good Voyage of the Dawn Treader adaptation that I enjoyed and one that pretended to be Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I got to watch, you know, I've even <laughs> seen the horse and his boy on stage, you know. But I've always liked the story of the Silver Chair for a long time. It was my favorite book. I just, en- I thought, oh, I'm actually enjoying this, you know. But you think part of it is that you didn't have a lot, it's not nearly as much to compare this to. Right. No, I just honestly, I was able to enjoy it, which is kind of, which is nice. And I also grew up on older stuff. I still watch older movies. And so I'm much more tolerant of um, older productions and just the things that come with them. Good old 80s and 90s. At the same time, a lot of uh, older productions, the ones that are still watched today, 
are watched for a reason. It's not because there are a lot of older films that are never rewatched today. They just aren't because they're wholly uh-huh. terrible or <laughs> inferior. But mm-hmm. there are certain things in older productions that hold up and uh, are refreshing. But I do think going forward, I'm going to be able to actually just sit back and enjoy this, which I actually enjoyed The Voyage of the Dawn Treader overall as well. Uh, no, you didn't. Rewatching the BBC version. <laughs> no, you uh, did. I, I, I've got the recording. It, well, it's online. It's public. I can prove that you did not enjoy Voyage of the Dawn Treader. What are you talking about? I enjoyed the experience of watching it. I, <laughs> that's I, different. That is very different. Yeah, but and there were parts <laughs> okay. of it that I did enjoy. It's complicated. There were parts I did enjoy, but this I think I'm going to probably mostly enjoy. Yeah, I think I had a similar reaction. It's funny. I mean, I, I mean, like anything, I found myself nitpicking and finding things to complain about all throughout but when it was over i went oh it's over already like when the credits started rolling i was a little bit oh man i was kind of wanting it to keep going a little bit whereas i think pretty much every other bbc episode it's only half an hour but it kind of feels like 45 minutes or an hour um and this one has a a much nicer pace to it it Mm -hmm. it it, it moves pretty fast but generally not too fast i think and I felt more—I felt more investment in the main characters, Scrub and Jill, than in uh, Scrub in particular, for some reason, than in probably any of the other BBC episodes so far. So it's, it'd be weird to say this is my favorite BBC episode so far. Probably episode two of Wardrobe, probably still there. See, I didn't rewatch that one with you guys, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you should but, go back and watch it. So yeah, but like, <laughs> million things to nitpick. But when it was over, it was like, oh, I was a little bit sorry it ended. The first episode is a little a little more on the slower side, and I think it's if I recall correctly, because again I've literally not seen these in a, it has at least ten years, probably more. I don't know. Twenty. Twenty five. Three years later. No. Guaranteed. I was at fifteen when I saw this. I was younger. <laughs> um, but I think that the episodes continue to get more. Like, I know that there's more stuff that happens as you go. So I'm probably kind of thinking about that. If I had to judge this whole ap- adaptation just on the first episode, I'd probably be like, okay, there was a lot of really bad flying and some good character development and also just, like, let's skip with the program and the program comes. So I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Okay. Do you want to go ahead and give your uh and the I think for Don for a lot of the Don Tread episodes we kind of did a what was your favorite thing what was your least favorite thing so let's just continue with that so Jim your let's start with your favorite thing yeah I would say my favorite thing I don't know like I had a bunch but honestly the thing that sticks in the top of my mind is I like the casting that they did for Jill Camilla Power if you're thirsty come and drink. I'm very thirsty. Could I... Would you mind going away while I drink? Oh, the sound of that water's driving me frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I... I will make no promise. You mean I'm to trust you? When I think of Jill in the book... And maybe it's because I've I kind of saw the BBC version before I read the book, but I kind of have her in my head. I think in some way, like I think the dialogue is a little stilted, but I think she has, I don't know, she has a scrappiness to her that I'm like, I like you. I want to see you do more. I think so far it's a good performance. I think I would have 
the Jill I see in my head from the book is a little more, um, I don't know, fragile. Like, I mean, really, the, the, ver- the very first scene when the bullies are making fun of her and she's like, you know, she stands up for herself and and, and runs away, which I don't I kind of don't see the Jill in the book doing that. And I would even tie that to the general sense of overwhelming despair you get from the book and being trapped in experiment house and surrounded by bullies and authorities won't it's help you called experiment house <laughs> yeah i know it's a ter- terrible name for a school it and is. then the, the that sense of despair carries over into narnia i didn't really get that here so i i, I enjoy camilla power I didn't, I didn't camilla power i didn't have a problem with her i just think it's not the way i imagined jill from the book for that reason um things i didn't like worst thing I think the pacing was a little, some scenes I felt like went way too fast and others felt like they were going too slow. Like the whole thing on the whole thing on the cliff, air quotes. Yeah, like that. (laughs) He's just falling off the cliff. There was none of the, like the weight of it. There was none of the gravity. There was none of. Well, there was gravity. Ha 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 gravity. Ah, well, there was sort of gravity, <laughs> I guess. I, it might have been a little hill, like a little molehill that he been tripped over for all we well, know. Well, oh my god, you could argue like the, the way the special effects have been falling looked. I don't know. M- m- maybe there wasn't exactly gravity. I don't know. <laughs> Who but. knows? But yeah, no, the whole scene. It's like it was like a ten, a five to ten second scene that carries none of the the gravita, the, the weight, the everything. I can't think of another word. But it in the book, it's so much more impactful. He, you see his fear. He's trying to pull her back. She, you know, she hesitates because she starts to get afraid herself. He yanks her. She resists because she's afraid. And then he falls over, you know? So there's so much. It really adds to, like, why she feels so guilty. It was her fault. Because she yeah. knows it was her fault. Whereas, like, in the show, she's like, la di da di da and he grabs her. She just stands there, and then he falls over. She's kind of la di da for no reason. She's just like, look, I just came to a magical world. Maybe I'll just do this balancing yeah, check for no, no reason. It, do- it does nothing yeah. to advance the characters. So Camilla Power as Jill and your worst thing, which is basically the pacing in some places. and Yeah, just and I didn't like the first scene or that scene. Of the falling, and I really hated the ending. <laughs> oh, what, what, with the cliffhanger? Yes. Or, and the v- very questionable physics with Jill being able to ride on Glimfeather, even though his wings mysteriously get three times bigger whenever he flies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, really in your favorite thing about episode one of the Silver Chair? Uh, I, I guess I can just say in my breath and say ditto what Jim Penn said. Thank you. I mean, honestly, honestly, I was watching it. It's always funny to me because I thought, oh, you know, because I kind of came into this with the expectation. Well, my least favorite thing is going to be the terrible CGI, if you can even call it CGI. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost it's like they just, you know, they just you know, took some scissors, you know, cut out the frames, <laughs> you know, slapped it on there with some, uh-huh. you know, Elmer's It was blue pretty bad. The flying was pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> and, uh-huh. uh, and I thought, well, but at least I'll have like the dialogue uh, uh, from the uh, the book with you know, Aslan and Jill and, and you know, the good stuff Which is my there. favorite scene in the entire series, in the book. Yeah, and it's it's maybe the, one of the better scenes in, in the movie. I will see it, but if I still think that uh, six <laughs> episodes in. But honestly, oh, really? my, watching it, my favorite thing was Jill, uh, followed by Eustace, the actor, actors. I thought, I mean, they worked for me. Uh, I, too, had, I had a lot of issues with her performance when he falls off the cliff i had a lot of issues with kind of 
yeah, like you said, her kind of standing up to the bullies, it wasn't really, but it was a decent performance for what it was, right? It wasn't necessarily in keeping with the book, but I thought, oh, it was actually kind of nice to see some actors that, you know, kind of work for those roles, you know? Um, I feel like there's some of the better ones um, throughout the show as far as the kids go. Mm-hmm. I agree. For all the BBCs. And, and I do like the actress for Jill. I thought she's likable in the right ways. I thought she was believable for the most part. You know, I can probably fault some of the writing as far as, you know, a, a child actor can only do so much with some weak writing. I'm dying of thirst. She bends down to take like one sip of water. Oh, it's the, be- it's the best water I've ever tasted. <laughs> yes. Like I thought. But OK, I'm going to tell you that I was watching this. I thought, OK, in my memory from being a kid, I remember that she's dying of thirst and she takes like a little like a communion sip of water. <laughs> and then she's like, good to go. And uh, I thought, I wonder if I'm remembering that correctly. No, apparently I was. And, and Cody pointed out that you know, the book does say she didn't have to drink much of it to feel refreshed, but still, it does feel very comical. Well, BBC is known for adapting the books quite literally, so there you go. (laughs) There you go. There Um, you go. But honestly, the pacing, I I thought, man, it just, I feel like it, again, like I said at the beginning, I've watched older productions, and yes, sure, the cheesy graphics takes me out for a little bit, but I can work with it. But honestly, the thing that took me out of the movie the most or reminded me that I'm watching a movie was the editing and the pacing and I was like holy cow we're getting like huh. it's like boom thrown right into this awkward dialogue with Jill and Eustace and how they know each other and what's going on them again I wish my parents had never sent me to this place it's horrible now look here I'll go away and mind your own business I should have known you'd be on their side is that fair I may have been like that last year. You were horrible. But yes, you have changed. Everyone's noticed it. That lot have got you marked down as their next victim. And I thought, would I even have a clue what's really going on if I hadn't read the book? And then it's like 25 seconds, I think, is what I counted, that they're in Narnia before he falls off the cliff Uh or whatever. (laughs) After a little montage of, look! grass yeah literally this place is magical (laughs) yeah it's like this weird little fade you know know, crossfades of uh nature or whatever like the getty image stock footage it's it's like uh, they open the door and they can at first at first they just see normal life right Right. just another part of the school and then it fades to a grassy hill yeah wow (laughs) well yeah i actually thought i guess i did oh this would be so cool if like they had like just done it where like there was just a door like hey there's grass you just run boom and then the other bullies open the door and it's different and they don't have yeah. to use any cheesy graphics you just do it practically right because I guess if, if if they had just opened the door and we saw a grassy hill like as an audience we wouldn't know that was supposed to be something magical so they have to do that kind of fade transition I guess but <laughs> but yeah just some of the just the the changes in pacing that. You know, we sp- I feel like we spend more time in Jill's bedroom than we do in Narnia uh, or Aslan's country, rather. I don't know. It was just, it was just inconsistent. Yeah, and yeah, I just dis- even I disagree. Even the, even the uh, the dialogue with Aslan, they cut they cut down one of his best lines. Uh, it. I was I was like waiting for the full line and they cut down that one. I, like, oh, I, I have guess- swallowed up girls, boys, women, and men. He doesn't say cities, kings, and emperors, cities, and realms. Yeah, which is one of the best parts of it. Yeah, because you look at this this like dead, lifeless puppet sitting on the the <laughs> hillside. It's just not believable. <laughs> 
Oh, it's the purest water I've ever tasted. Come here. Ronald pickup. That's a separate issue, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that so even again, what I was expecting, my favorite thing to be, oh, at least they're going to be really close to the book. Like, well, why did they have to? I mean, come on, the pacing is weird enough. You can t- take an extra two seconds to say the full line. Uh, so even that was a little bit of a disappointment to me. You know, it's kind of odd, but okay. But I, I thought the pacing was a, the strong point of the episode. Some of the, I see what you're saying. But just w- it, when it ended, it was like a lot of the BBC ones are either with case of Prince Caspian way too fast. Right. And in the case of some of the wardrobe stuff, just really just kind of dull because there's no energy to it. This one, I think, generally struck a bit of a balance. There were a few people in the Facebook group that mentioned um, like I think the, dia- the initial dialogue with Scrub and Jill is kind of fast. Yep, I, I-, I-, I can definitely see that. Um, but in in general, I thought, and then yeah, certainly the part on the cliff is like, wait, wait, well, what just happened? Um, but in general, just as a standalone, as a TV episode, maybe not comparing it to the book, I just found myself entertained and it moved along, but it wasn't losing me except for a couple things. So I I found the pacing worked for me in this one way more than anything of the other BBC episodes. And one of the, I think one of the reasons for that leads me to my favorite thing in the episode, and that's David Thwaites as Scrub. There's uh, that first scene where he's explaining to Jill, hey, I've been to another world. He has some really challenging dialogue. I think I can trust you. It's the most terrific secret. Would you believe that I've been right outside this world? Oh, well. I don't even know what that means. In a place where animals can talk and there are dragons and enchantments. How did you get there? The only way anyone can. By magic. I think I'm getting a bit old for magic. Oh, come off it! Through that scene, you can see both levels you can see him excited to be able to talk about narnia for probably the first time in a long time and you see him being nervous that she's gonna laugh at him he plays in both of those things at being played at the same time and then she kind of does laugh at him and he goes oh come off it and he kind of gets like <laughs> angry like i i was kind of trusting you there yeah like he really was vulnerable with her what i like about his acting is he's able to convey without any dialogue that there's a lot of things he knows that he's not letting on without overacting. And that's a hard thing to do. I agree. Like he he gives it this kind of sense of a uh, uh, mystery and intrigue about it, which is really cool. And I really think that is probably the main thing that made me invest in scrub as a character more than I've invested in the BBC characters in the past series. Um, and then later when he has his heartbreak, when he, you know, finds out that it's Caspian. I thought that moment worked really well. And when he's in Jill's bedroom and sa- making that whole speech about how, oh, coming back and find Caspian old, I, I really felt is, wow, that would be really hard. Yeah. Um, so David Thwaites is used this for me is the high point. And I can't believe you guys, I guess you've alluded to it, but haven't mentioned clearly the worst thing in this episode. He was sent by Aslan. 
Aslan! Jawoo! Jawoo! We've been sent to find the lost prince. First I've heard of it, what prince? You'd better speak to the Lord Regent. At once! Jawoo! Jawoo! What are to do? I can't think clearly yet. I'm never myself until the sun goes down. Glimfeather. Oh my gosh. Hey, Everything I... about him. I can't hate on Warwick Davis. I, just I will can't. absolutely hate on Warwick Davis. <laughs> uh, in this particular case, he was a fantastic Reapy Cheap. Um, he's an, a horrible Glimfeather. It's just not at all the character in the book, for one thing. Um, but um, So, yes, thank you for bringing that up, Jim Fan. <laughs> I, I like how he does say, I'll be back in two twos. <laughs> he just won and then he leaves. No, but literally, listen, like, why could no one tell Warwick that, look, I know in the book it says to woo, but that's just Lewis trying to write out an owl noise. Like, to woo, to woo. It don't just say to woo, to woo. <laughs> it's so dumb. I, I, I would think if you hadn't read the book, he'd be going like, why does he keep saying to woo? Or why to is woo, that a thing? <laughs> It's, it's like the chimney sweepers in Mary, Mary Poppins. <laughs> I, I'm going to harp on this for a second. <laughs> the, uh, this is a minor point, but I'm going to harp on this for just a second because I think it's a good example of uh, reciting a story versus retelling a story. And <laughs> yes. um, don't just copy paste what's in the book. <laughs> in the think about what the author meant. <laughs> Think about what is the author trying to convey here. And clearly C.S. Lewis is trying to convey an owl noise, not literally to woo. And even if they insisted on using Warwick's voice instead of just like adding an owl sound effect later, like, here, everybody, listen, I am not an actor, but listen, to woo, to woo. Even that is better <laughs> yeah. than to woo, to <laughs> woo. I mean, to woo, to you, to I mean, I mean can, can you imagine if the actor who played Mogram went bark, 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 bark? <laughs> he that, that's kind of what it is. Oh! <laughs> I think he did do that. He did. <laughs> he did. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Glenfeather costume is not Bad, it's not except bad. When... It's no bowling pin beaver, you know. No, <laughs> I don't know. I felt like the, I will say the eyes were kind of a little like the sockets were a little <laughs> disconnected. A little was, like, you can see there's a dude in there. <laughs> when they cut, when they cut to the close up, and you can see it's his eyes. That's really distracting. But the costume's not bad. Uh, going back to the voice, he also clearly sounds. He clearly sounds muffled. <laughs> Like he's wearing a mask, which he obviously is. What, what do they call it when they just? Because almost every movie does it. They re-record all the dialogue. ADR. ADR, yes. Yeah, why didn't um, they do that? Yeah, they did it with Aslan. I'm not sure why they couldn't do it with Glimfeather. But even the whole character, in the book, I find Glimfeather, I, I imagine it being a lot quieter, and he adds a little bit of mystery. And, of course, there's a, there's a comedy that later we find out that, well, the reason he seems so mysterious is because he was tired, because he's a night owl. But but he, he adds this kind of, ooh, what's going on here? So I imagine him being a lot more subdued um, of a character. And here he's just, <laughs> it's just like why is he doing that what does this have to do oh, okay anyway so undoubtedly don't say anything about the lost prince <laughs> fortunately he's deaf and he can't hear me <laughs> yes that's right he says it very late he's like don't say anything about the lost prince and clearly trumpkins right there and i know he couldn't hear but still you think he would make a slight attempt at now and, and, and later, by the way, when he's flying from Jill's window to Scrub's window, he goes, "Eustace, wake up!" <laughs> like, like would clearly would wake everyone up in the whole castle. So it, it, at least it's consistent that Glenfeather is terrible itself in subtlety. I'll say that much. 
so for me, I thought, you know, I'm sorry, Warwick, you were a fantastic Reaper chief. He was, uh, 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 no, he wasn't Trumpkin the second time. Uh, no, Big Mick came back as Trumpkin. No, no, no. I was thinking, uh, Nickabrick. He was a great Nickabrick. Oh yeah. You know? Even though we've talked about maybe it would have been interesting to see Peter Dinklage and Warwick Davis switch roles there, but yeah, yeah, he he was a good Nickabrick. Yeah, they wanted an edgy Trumpkin, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it is hilarious. Like I think part of it again is I was that was the part I just remembered. Like oh yeah, this is gonna be the glim feather, you know. Tobo, uh-huh. I think someone probably <laughs> read it is like oh I guess everything he says has to rhyme. So <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I did laugh. I'll be back in two twos. <laughs> well, that's only one. <laughs> okay, uh, so those are our best and worst. Uh, I've uh, I've got a bunch of notes of things I want to talk about. You guys have anything you want to get into, or can I just? I think we covered a lot of it. To here. be honest, just go for it, dude. Because I've got all kinds of thoughts on whatever that I'll just comment <laughs> on. I make it up as I go. Okay. Um, at the beginning, uh, Jill is running away from the bullies and some kind of teacher or authority figure stops them and says, you should know better. I'm ashamed of you. Which book are we adapting here again? Like, isn't the whole point of Experiment House that the teacher and principals and such Oh, I are... thought you were going to say, and then this guy apparently just turns them loose again. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. Five seconds later, they're back at but it. My point is, isn't like, it's a good example of how, again, the over... One of my major objection to this episode would be it doesn't set up the despair of experiment house and the despair of narnia properly but here it's like you know the whole point in the book is that even the, the teachers are kind of on the side of the bullies jill and eustace have no one to turn to right well they would never t- tell someone to be ashamed of themselves like that in and of itself is that would never come out of their mouths because what is there's no concept of shame it's just there's no right and wrong yeah there's no right or wrong just- well and i think what you're hitting on is the, the view you kind of get going into this is that Oh, things are whatever at the school, but she just hates it for whatever reason. And Eustace just hates it for whatever reason. And, and yeah, it doesn't set up. A, no, actually, it's a really terrible place. And even in Narnia, you're kind of like the way that they set up Narnia. It's like, oh, there's like, you know, nice costumes and trumpets and like, ah, oh, the king's sad. But you know, other than that, things seem to be going great. And they don't set up the situ- situation in Narnia, really. There's no... Oh my goodness, I really hope they succeed at finding the lost prince. Yeah. yeah. We haven't gotten there's no gravity to the quest except that Jill has been told, Don't forget the signs, don't forget the signs. But that's it. There's a really interesting line. I think it's just as Glimfeather comes to her window where she says something like, I think I think he's I think Glimfeather says Um, you know, do you wanna really go on this quest to find the lost prince or something like that? Are you serious about this? Mr. Glimfeather! Lots to do, if you're in earnest about finding a prince. Oh, we've got to be. I wouldn't care to get on the wrong side of that line. Then you must come with me tonight. Jill says, yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of that lion. Which is not a line that's in the book, but how do you guys feel about that? Uh, that was an interesting line about Jill being mainly motivated by fear of this scary lion. Now, we could... Let's, let's set aside the issue of how scary is the motionless puppet voiced by Ronald Pickup. <laughs> let's set that aside. But philosophically, Jill is motivated by fear. How do we feel about that? I don't think that necessarily is against what 
it is in the book because mm-hmm. I agree. She doesn't fully grasp who Aslan is. She doesn't. She, I mean, she takes him seriously. She says, "Yes, I'll do the quest. Yes, I will remember the signs." But a lot of it is from her guilt because she knows it's her fault. She has to go after Eustace. There's a respect for the line, but there's not that faith in the line mm-hmm. and who he is and what. She you know. mm-hmm. Yeah. So she doesn't know him. So yeah, it makes sense. She okay, he seemed like he's really powerful and he told me to do something and I'm gonna do it. But like she knows that he is a lion, but she doesn't know that he's good yet, if that makes sense. Sure. He, he, he's pretty sure he's not safe, but I, she has no reason to believe he's good. I, I didn't really like how the line was worded, but I don't disagree with the sentiment because one thing I was thinking about, which I thought they did emphasize in the show, which is consistent with the book, is you do reflect as the audience. It, it is impressed on the audience. The plan was... Aslan brings Eustace and Jill there and Eustace takes kind of a leadership role because it's his friend. He understands it. He would help remember the signs and they Uh were both going to get the signs and everything would have just gone a lot better. And now she's operating from a point of weakness really uh, because of what's happened. And so she's having to carry the full burden in a way that she wouldn't have to otherwise. So I don't, I, I agree that the sentiment isn't really that inconsistent with, with the book yeah yeah i think it you know she just met this line her first impression was is he gonna eat me which one of the main ideas of jill is having to trust and this scary lion that she just met is difficult and she wrestles with it and the reason we know in the this episode that she has to trust aslan is she literally says so uh, i see i have to trust you it's like Thank you for just uh, <laughs> s- summarizing that in case in case we missed what the whole point of the, this character was. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I I, I like the idea. Um, I, I, I again like it like I alluded to. I don't know if Ronald pick up in the puppet really back up that yeah. feeling, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's so unfortunate and it's so small too. Yeah. Uh, when you see them both together, it's sort of sad also because like from that that one silhouette shot, which I. I uh, visually i really liked where the, the sun's like in the back set it's a very I, cool it shot it looks like a real lion in that shot and the the dialogue having some of the dialogue from that perspective really worked it's just a shame it wasn't bigger but yeah. i think it, i think it'd be hard for the actress too to convey that she's really afraid because at some sure. point if she acts too afraid it almost seems cheesy the other way right because you're like what what what's going what on are you here? afraid of it's yeah. a puppet lion you know right <laughs> yeah no I, I know just the shot you're talking about where they're they're kind of silhouetted very bright sky behind and he them looks and then, what's so scraggly like he looks hey, like he's been through pup- like 12 episodes. I know, that poor puppet looked like it was falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the location. Aslan takes her to like a, a pool, and there's like a, a magic mirror thing in the pool. A um, and we kind of see a a live stream, if you will. Of, of what's <laughs> it's not a live stream, it was a, <laughs> a live it was pool. live streamed, it's just archived. <laughs> uh, I, th- I thought that was a really neat location. It's kind of distracting where. Uh, the first two signs, we can see like you know we can see a visualization of it in the pool. But then for the last two, it just shows Aslan's face. It's kind of like, wait a minute. So what was the writing on the stone? Um, and what did Jill actually oh, see in sorry, the pool? Spoil it. 
<laughs> oh, 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 wait, Aslan! Like, can't you show me something? Uh, no, that'd be a spoiler. Unfortunately, I, I, of course, uh, two seconds ago I was talking about how forgiving I was of the visuals, and here I'll rip on them. But I was like, as it's panning up on the city of the giants, I thought it's only a model. It's only a model. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was really bad. It's yeah. Like a small model, like a Lego set, <laughs> and not an impressive big one. There's a moment at the very end when Aslan blows Jill away, where I just feel like in the book, Aslan is so endlessly patient with Jill. And it even says he was very patient about this. But then at the last thing Aslan says to her is, child, silence! silence. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Had enough of this. Get out of here. It's almost and- like the guy who's like been chain smoking for years. Like, silence. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how scared that Jill would be. Because she would probably think she's dead. She's going to fall. Silence! <laughs> And then he sounds like he's snoring. I'm like, are you okay there, Grandpa Aslan? Gosh. Um, really random line by Trumpkin. They say that, you know, these children have been sent by, by Aslan himself. And Trumpkin says, sent by Aslan for what purpose? And Jill replies, to visit the great court of Narnia. And Trumpkin says, so our fame spreads. <laughs> yeah, that was sort of hilarious. I actually thought it was a funny line. Like, so like, so, so Aslan has finally heard of Narnia. Our fame <laughs> spreads. Oh no, I thought the point was that it was that Earth has heard of Narnia. Oh, oh, okay. That's how oh. I heard it. That's how I heard it. But I wasn't sure if it was intended to be a funny line, or you know, or if it was like you know. Like Rocket and Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I'm sorry. You should have used your sarcastic voice. Now I feel foolish. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe that that actually makes more sense. At least that's what I thought. Not the Aslan her, but like they had like. Oh yeah, it's gotten around in England. <laughs> Narnian tourism is booming. <laughs> it survived COVID. All right. Um, Yay. <laughs> you just gotta wear a mask. <laughs> uh, at least Warwick Davis does anyway. <laughs> yeah. You go, Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> uh, so, really interesting. They made it, so, I guess they could call it a change from the book that Jill can't remember the signs at all. You know, she's lying in bed and Scrub, Scrub says, You have to remember those signs, Jill. Anyway, what were the other signs? The second one was, oh dear. I know. Go to the north of Narnia. And the third one was, uh, and the fourth was, uh... I'm going to bed. Oh, you've got to remember those signs. I'll try. I'll concentrate. I will remember them. I, I kind of don't see it that way in the book. It's in, and more in the book she does, but keeps on forgetting them. It's a little more vague, I guess, in the book. But... I, I just remember reading the book and I used to wonder, Jill, why don't you just write them down? If you're so worried about, <laughs> yeah, if you're worried about forgetting I know. Them. It's like c- pens and papers exist, right? <laughs> yeah. So here it's like they have some real dramatic tension of Jill's like, oh, I can't remember them. Um, and I have to remember them or we're screwed. And of course, because it's a movie, um, well, it's a television series. So if it's being broadcast on television, you can't just rewind and go listen to the signs again. Unlike a book where you can cheat and go ba- and flip back a few pages and read what the signs were. So I, I thought I, I like that change a lot, actually. The way that I kind of remember it from the book is she rem- she knows the signs, like she's, but she she's distracted. Like she's distracted. Oh, she lands in our, and then she almost forgets. Oh, uh, I have to tell Eustace that he's going to see an old friend right when he lands in narnia and then mm-hmm. oh well we could but oh it's so comfortable in here in harfang 
and it's kind of a different meaning of the word remember. Uh, you know, there's kind of the, when we think of the word remember today, it's oh yeah, you you can recall it, right? To remember it, mm-hmm. but to remember something in older literature and in, in, like in the Bible, for example, it was like to remember something or he no longer remembered it. It means to kind of hold it in your mind as something that is a focus of your of your actions. And so you remember it. I uh, mean, you're consciously holding it as a point of focus. Uh, not that you, oh yeah, I, I know that thing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took it, I think in the book, it was more of the latter. It's it's okay, more of, it's, the issue isn't that she just can't remember the, the sign. If she was remembering it more in the way you're talking about, maybe she would have bothered to write it down and been more careful about it. So this episode ends without ever getting to the full backstory with <laughs> Rillian. And like we know Rillian's missing. Hi. <laughs> one for bingo. The original Rillian, not the one that copy pasted a screen name and called it a day. Um, <laughs> burn. You could at least flip it around, flip the syllables around and make it backwards. Nail- so it's totally nail- original. Nailer. <laughs> Nailer. Nailer. I don't like... Uh, but no, I'm not going to say any more on that. Isn't that interesting? You get through the entire first episode, and all you know is Rillian's gone. You don't know, you know any of that backstory. Um, I think it kind of gets to the silver chair. One of the problems of adapting the silver chair is how much backstory there is, even with the situation at Experiment House, even with Scrub used to be a certain way, and now he's different. Even with uh, uh, the door they go through, usually it was locked, but this time it's unlocked. Um, and all those things you can squeeze into... Uh, a book, it can have these like little quick asides and have the sense of history, whereas in a movie, it's a little trickier, I think, to get all that to naturally come out. I think it's sort of interesting. This is sort of a comment on really the general story, not the adaptation of the BBC. But I always kind of wondered, well, why doesn't Aslan, why didn't Aslan just give her the whole story? Aslan, could have, he had all the time in the world there. He could have just told her what was going on. Uh, well, and for that matter, story. he could have gone and rescued the prince. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So as I'm sitting here and I thought, well, why didn't I didn't need to tell her more um, or even tell her, by the way, it's this really it's this one guy you're going to meet. This is what he looked like. You know, uh-huh. weird mask on. But uh-huh. uh, in the BBC adaptation. Because <laughs> if she thought that it was if she thought the prince was a guy, if she knew it was a guy in a mask, she might have seen Glimfeather and said, Prince. Uh-huh. <laughs> My Prince William. <laughs> anyway, but, but it would have been confusing. Ooh. But but you know, it's interesting that he wants them. He tells her he wants them to get help. He wants them to find good help, and of course, he wants them to go on this journey. And we, you know, but it's it is sort of an interesting aspect of the story. Of Aslan has a plan of how he wants things to progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, he's got those four signs, obviously. So he's got a certain way that mm-hmm. he, want, he wants us to go. But and and they do end up finding good help through the owls. But it's just sort of it is interesting, as you because there is it seems almost like I think initially yeah Jill has something she has to learn. Initially, it seems almost like a plot hole. Like wait a second, like why wouldn't he just explain that? Actually, there's a reason he doesn't explain it. No, because like I think it's about Jill. Jill's got something she's got to learn. She's got to learn. Uh, I mean, in the book anyway, Jill doesn't have anyone in her life that she can trust. You know, there's no one in authority mm-hmm. at, at school. They're all corrupt. There's a, she doesn't have any friends, apparently. Only human character in the series whose parents are interestingly never mentioned. She's just got, there's no evidence of her having anybody in her life that she can trust. And so to me, this is about 
her journey is about um, regaining the ability to trust again. And Aslan's giving her these four signs and saying, trust me, and it, 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 it'll work out. Yeah, it's about mm-hmm. faith. She has always struck me as the kind of person who she has to take care of herself because no one else is going to. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. But uh, got to the end of episode one. We, we don't have Rillian's backstory. We also don't have Puddle Glum yet. Um, dun, 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 so dun, we will see. Yeah, we will see. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite character is Glum Puddle. A Puddle Glum. Oh, oopsie. Um, there's your first one. I need my bingo card. Uh, so I'm looking forward to really like getting fresh eyes on Tom Baker's portrayal of my favorite character in the entire series. So yeah, well, that's it's, the problem. Is I remember him being my favorite part of this movie. So we'll okay, see. I'm going to go in with an open mind, and we'll see. Tune in yeah. next week. Tune in next week. Next week. Next <laughs> episode. Next tune in for the, the tune in <laughs> for the next, next episode. episode sometime in the future. We hope you enjoy this episode of Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast. Visit narniweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment below or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Mm-hmm.